Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. And welcome to another episode of Homestyle with Shana Blaze. I'm Jane Neild and I have the pleasure each couple of weeks of jumping into the podcast studio with Shana Blaze, of course, interior designer, author, TV presenter and back on our screens as one of the very crucial judges on the block, Brighton, which is actually delivering Channel 9 some incredible ratings. Shana, it's a whirlwind for you at the moment. Welcome. Oh, my God, it is. It's um, like like our ratings were, you know, number one of the night, which is absolutely fantastic. Like, uh, nearly 1.4 million people around Australia on average watching the show. That's Really good. <laughs> Look, I, I think a lot of people have been stuck in ISO. They've watched everything out there. They want something <laughs> new and fresh and bang, here we come. So I met you at first, you know, a few months ago. We started doing Homestyle and it was uh, just as you were finishing up filming the blog. So I was very interested. If you don't mind, can you indulge us blockheads? Because, look, there's a lot people want to know about the show this mm-hmm. year. Do you re-watch the show? Because this was obviously filmed a few months ago. So do you force yourself to re-watch or do you know the gist? Okay. I, n- I love how you say re-watch. I have never seen any of it. There you go. So I don't get to see anything that happens before I go judge and I don't get to see any of the episodes before they go to air. So for me, I'm seeing it as fresh as everybody. And then also, like, I know how long we take to judge and I know the comments that we make, but it's not until we see it that we know what the lead-up is and and what the fallout. Mm. So for me to actually find out what's been going on before they um, reveal, but then also what they say afterwards, it's like, but it's it's quite funny because people really do think that we know what's going on and we don't. And that's why we're going so long and why we can be so strong in our comments because we don't know the people and we don't know what they're doing and we are working from the essence of the room. So you're not going in with some producer in your ear going, these guys have had a really tough week. And by the way, if you mention the battening isn't quite with period, they're going to lose it. That is not at all the background you get. If if there actually is a family issue or something really bad that's happened, absolutely. You know, we've had series where, you know, there, there are sadly a death in the family or something that's been really hard We know that they've been through a tough time and it will come out in their rooms. Or is a case, you know, a couple of years ago where we had all the other contestants and teams pitch in and help them finish a room that was epic. So those are the important things that we do need to know. And that's about all we know. It's fascinating seeing you walk into those rooms for the first time. So are you saying, yes, you do watch the full episode as it airs Uh when the rest of us do? (laughs) With Twitter... On the laptop right next to me. (laughs) I did notice a lot of activity on your social media, so that is good to know that you are right there with people watching. Uh, It seems that this year, so for anyone listening who hasn't seen the show, of course, the point of the block is... I mean, it's to make money as well for the mm-hmm. for the actual production. So we're looking this year, uh, the show, the developer, I guess, I'm not sure on the logistics of who exactly is what, 3,000 uh, square metre block, was it, in Brighton, which yes. is beachside in Melbourne's sort Sorry, of... Sorry, no, it's not. It's in Brighton. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Are we allowed to bag out Brighton after oh, Karen from Brighton? You know what? That's so, it's- this they is get an exclusive it. area, right? Absolutely. So I think if you're outside of uh, Melbourne and Australia, you would know that. Yes, when we refer to Brighton in Melbourne, it is a it's a a very tightly held real estate market. 
people try for years to get into the market and the prices are phenomenal. Okay, so the setup is this year you've bought in five different period homes and each one of them will be renovated. Is it to match the era or is it inspired? Because this seems to be the big problem. People aren't sure of the rules. Are these contestants trying to renovate in true period fashion for the different eras or are they just needing to show you, the judges, that they've found some inspiration from the original period of the home? I think it's actually right in the middle. It's about <laughs> respecting the building. Well, that's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, because it, it, it's it's like true period form. If you do that, it becomes a museum. And if you're inspired, it means that anyone can interpret it the way that they want. So in the middle of that means that we need to respect the heritage of the building. We need to respect what are the original features of that period. You don't have to do all of them, but, you know, most of them are pretty good. Then you build the modernisation interpretation around that. So you walked into one of the main, uh, it's a guest bedroom reveal rooms, uh, Luke and Jasmine are from Perth. Mm -hmm. I would probably summarise by saying that Jasmine obviously has a certain style to herself. She's a, a modern inspired, you know, she designs modern Oh, no, with she a said it flair. very, very yes. right there. She Who's, said, no, I'm a modern person. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Who seems to be completely baffled by the fact that she's now in a, a home of the period of the 1910s. You walked in and said... I think it's a crying shame of the room reveal. This is a this is confused of what it wants to be. So can you get a real confusion in a room that you know is a period room where you just don't get those sort of little emotional points? Well, it, it comes down to we, we've got two sides of that of the facts and then the other side of the emotional connection. And, you know, we are about the emotional emotional connection. The, the fact is it is a 1910 house. The fact is that they were told from day one that they have to do the period. That's just what has to happen. They are the rules. And what I'm coming about is not my opinion. These are the rules and these Mm. are the facts. And what we're trying to do is tell them that this is what you did. And the thing is with the 1910s house, it is possibly one of the design styles that is so well loved all around the country. You, You think uh, a Queenslander, you think of VJ panelling, you think of beautiful timber houses. It is a very nostalgic period that you see Australia-wide. It doesn't have to come with a, a boom area. It's something that's been copied and, and used everywhere around, mm. around Australia. So it isn't as hard as what it's made out to be. Interesting. And, I, and I think <laughs> where it becomes confused is that when you're given a brief of 1910s and you turn up with a 1930s interior, mm. almost a slave to the the bed head, the, the shape of the furniture, the colours. And that's where I go, what house are we in? Because we had 1920s and 30s before and this looked the same. Yes. So that's where the confusion comes in. Not the fact that um, what is 1910, the fact is that it had no relevance to 1910 whatsoever. Okay, so confusion is obviously clear in that situation. Of course, you're listening to Homestyle with Shana Blazers. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. And over the next episode and the rest of this, we're going to uh, talk about some of those very specific sort of periods. So much to learn. And I've gone down a bit of a historical rabbit hole with Melbourne's history as well. But first, Shana, on that sort of note of research, yes, 
if someone, I mean, it does happen that people might go to an auction and they're kind of thinking about a pl- and then suddenly it's like, boom, on the, oh my goodness, we just bought ourselves a 1930s bungalow we thought would be in a mid-century modern. So it does happen. Perhaps, you know, I mean, people have uh, properties given to them in wills that they might end up with a place that's nothing like their personal style. So if that happens, or if you indeed end up on the block and they go, right, you're going to be doing this period, what are your sort of first tips for researching a period, a style, or a particular era of a house? Well, one one is... what is a 1910s house is a good start. <laughs> Would you just type that into Google? Yeah, like pretty much. Did? Pretty much. I used to go to the library and I actually have historical books and uh, it, it really is what is the essence. And, and federation was a big part of that. And there were so many different sort of things of uh, 1910s that was a very Australian and Australiana mm. and, you know, lots of wattle and, and lots of different sort of elements of interiors that were away from the industrial age of Victorian, which Victorian was about metal and lace. And we went into 1910s about timbers, about flora and fauna mm. and all that. And it was a very beautiful period of lots of details and lots of, uh, I suppose, decorative elements that was could have been quite overwhelming. But then there's also the part of it of making it quite Australian when you, you reference a Queenslander that was quite big in those times. And also, you know, the VJ panelling, which ends up coming down to it wasn't VJ panelling in there. That's a modern interpretation. It was mm. actually proper lining boards. So the walls... And, and when you say VJ, like for anyone, it's... it's oh, I'm not sure what VJ stands for it, but it's literally that panelled sort of lining of the exactly. walls. Exactly. It's a V groove. There you it's go. It's a V-groove. Yes. And what it is, it's just one big wide sheet, maybe 1,200 by 2.4. It's got the grooves in it to really emulate what it was to have like mm. pine pine clad walls. Yeah, that literally was... almost like a floorboard on the wall, wasn't it? Absolutely. Like, yes. Yeah. N- not to be confused <laughs> with the, the saunas of the 1970s. <laughs> but if you think there's, you know, there's a lot of um, dado rails that go up to like the chair line, then you have um, timber around there. You have some walls that go up to the picture rail height. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the other part of what's called the strapping, which I did say in the episode. And the strapping is, is mainly what's in the ceiling. But they also had strapping on the walls. And and part of that was to hide the joints. Yeah, so prior to, you know, things like sheetrock or gyprock, you sort of forget that, you know, you didn't just go to Bunnings and buy yourself a three-metre by two-metre, you know, chunk of plasterboard, which even I have managed to learn how to install. You were literally using sheet by sheet. And then how did you cover all the joints? Yeah, you put a a beading, a piece of wood over it. Exactly. And it was the thick stuff. Thick style. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't curved and it wasn't chamfered. Oh, it could have been chamfered, but but very sort of linear. And it, it's it's a definite design style. And I think if people just look up, you know, strapping ceilings mm-hmm. and strapping on, on wall panelling, people will just go straight away going, oh, my God, of course, yeah. it's 1910. <laughs> and, you know, the Australian look... That was quite unique to Australia. And so for that not to be brought up was something that disappointed me only because I love that and it's not a hard thing to find. And that was where it all came back. If you're researching, there are two major things in that design style that will pop up straight away. 
Yeah, so really almost every image would have at least had some sort of a, a reflection on that. So now, Shana, we're going to get more into the 1910s. So doing your research like that, you're saying, you know, look at the overwhelming stuff that's coming back on a bit of a Google search because if it's popping up time and time again, there's a very good chance that it's actually part of a predominant design style for that era. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what you've been talking about, the Federation period. Let's just put ourselves into the minds of Melburnians in the 1910s. Tens with this, the American Quartet. It's a song called Billy. Oh, go Billy. <laughs> I know a certain girl who's feeling very sad. I'm thinking you might be more of a jazz lady, which we're going to get to later. So thinking of that, that's playing on, you know, phonograms and and places around Melbourne. 1908, as you said, was Federation. Mm. So that's when, in fact, I didn't know this. Like I said, historical rabbit hole. They yeah. actually moved Australia's parliament to Spring Street in Melbourne right up until 1927. I know. So we Melbourne, were the head of Australia. <laughs> we were the biggest capital city there for quite a few years. Everything's been going good, but then in 1905, things start to slide. And of course, then you start to see World War One coming. Mm. So paint the picture of what perhaps a house would be like. You've mentioned the sort of strappings and some of those really Australiana sort of qualities. So tell us what we're going to sort of find in a period of a house built between 1900 and 10. You actually will get a bit of a mixed bag. Um, definitely you will see the Australiana if it's very Australian. Otherwise, you'll see William Morris, which was a very English uh, wallpaper designer, pattern, and very, various, very flora and fauna. So that's where we did our interpretation with, with our wattles and our kookaburras and, you know, certain chairs. And there'll be a lot of timber chairs. And also, once we're hitting sort of the war era, era um, it is very timber orientated. There's no brick. You know, it might be a few brick pillars, but you're not getting solid brick houses unless, you know, somebody is making money out of the war as it, as it gets older. So it really starts to, towards the end of that, you know, mismatched chairs. Everything isn't perfect. You know, you, you had in the Victorian times, it had a very boudoir feel to it, whereas in the Federation, you had timber mantel places um, rather than iron and you had, you know, tiles but very minimal and you had basins that were on pedestals you didn't have vanities you didn't have much storage and it it was really about simplicity simplicity was a very big thing even though it was quite decorative everything was quite simple Oh, that's really interesting to know that uh, minimalism yes. <laughs> might have been around over 110 15 years ago well it comes out of need it comes out of need that, you know, in the fact that we need the money for other things so we can't actually use it on our home so we keep it very simple. Okay. And so in that period you also see that some of Melbourne's areas become sort of slum areas because unemployment starts to rise. These days those areas would be really, really like incredible in a city uh, real estate, wouldn't they, with all the old Victorian terrace houses and things. So things really sort of start to change in that period, don't they? It, it starts where you, you know, you, we, we have the old miners' cottages, which were more uh, brick orientated mm-hmm. in, into the Victorian times. And then you go into the timber where you actually see the bigger emergence of weatherboards. Mm-hmm. which we hadn't seen a lot of. We still have a lot of Victorian houses that are weatherboard, but, you know, we had a lot of uh, federation coming into timber out of necessity of cheaper materials, cheaper labour, and starting to work within 
really very simplistic design and simple interiors. And that's where, you know, we have a kitchen that would only have a bench for the sink. Mm. That's the only bench you would find. Everything else was a, was a, a potbelly type stove. Then it would be a, a kitchen table and maybe just one set of cupboards. That's it. Very, very minimal. <laughs> the complete opposite of what we all sort of seem to strive exactly. for. There's no butler's kitchen there and that sort of thing. Okay, so what could be some of the pitfalls that people fall into with that period? Because as you're talking, I'm sort of feeling, you know, you evoke that period. But, I mean, in this case with the block, these people are trying to attract a buyer who wants to live in Brighton who's possibly got a whole lot more cash in their pocket than anyone during that period would have thought you would spend on a family home. So, you know, can you get too much into that era and then lose the appeal to a Brighton buyer? Oh, no, because I think I think we're talking the gloom and doom part of it and sure. where we talk where everything's became pared back. But there is still still all those beautiful elements of beautiful timber treatments, those beautiful uh, plaster uh, cornicing and things like that. And especially if you're in Brighton, you would have a, a house that would have this beautiful essence to it mm. and would have lots of beautiful furniture, maybe a little bit heavy, but you definitely would have the wealth that was in Brighton at that time. So you would have houses that were around that boom sort of time of, of Federation and definitely would be very decorative, as I was saying in the wallpapers and the William Morris and, and heavy curtains with and fringing. And floral, yes. Is floral? the William Morris really the floral or is it more? No, if, if, you, look, if you look up Art Nouveau, Yep. Art Nouveau is very fluid. So rather than, you know, florals, we'll get to that with when we get to 1940s. Yes. Um, but the 1910s, it was Art Nouveau, which was all, all about escaping the, the harshness of um, the Victorian times, which was quite rigid. There was a lot of metal. There was a lot of iron. The and Industrial it was, Revolution. <laughs> absolutely. And it was very over-the-top floral in that time too, whereas you went down to Art Nouveau and it was about expression. So paired back. with Paired back, yeah. but then lots of fluid lines. And that's where, you know, the arts and crafts movement, that's, that's really what that main period of the decorative style of the 1910s are. And so when you're walking into a, a house that has graphics and curves and simplicity of art deco, it's so far removed from what um, the arts and crafts movement was. And it was about mm. the individual. It really was. And it would be every room of the house would be completely different. Okay. So Shana, let's move on to the roaring 20s where if you were out dancing on the town in Melbourne, you might've heard a song that sounded something like this. an Australian composer called David Lewis Long and it's called Jolly Great Time. So the Roaring Twenties. For some reason, I feel like you would have really suited this era, Shana. Oh my God. Talk about getting your dance shoes on, your makeup, your flapper dress. And it was a celebration. It was about coming out of wartime and it was really a case of there was money, there was excess, there was um, industry. And it was about creating glamour and lifting spirits and hopes. So in, in the 1910s, we had fabrics that were linen-based and very flat in colour. Once we hit the Art Deco, it had vibrancy because we had shimmer, we had satin, we had uh, velour, and we had all those mm, sort of elements velvety. coming in. Velvety, mm. all of that, that wasn't really sort of 
put out in the tens, it was a bit more sort of heavy and drab. And this is also, you know, if you think of that era, you think of when women were, were wearing low-waisted dresses, um, Chanel, mm. all that, uh, and, you know, the, the, the pants. It was a big change in, in the revolution of, of women and how people did things. And so there was an air of sophistication and, and, and also an air of not just flamboyance, but promiscuity. So, yes, we had women suddenly being able to cut their hair short, smoke cigarettes, wear fashion like they've never worn before. Like you said, Chanel, uh, you know, the, the hemlines are becoming more pared back. So how does this sort of become reflected in some of the architecture and the design style we see at that time? Well, it, it comes down to we, we've gone from that fluid element of Art Nouveau and the the arts and crafts movement, which was all about florals and all about flora and fauna and where this was about air travel. This was about Mm. sea travel. This was about abundance of being connected. Once we get to the later part of of the 1920s, it's more more relevant to the 1930s. But the 1920s was where people were really starting to see that they could move beyond their home. They could move beyond their country. And there was a sense of hope. And then, of course, that all came crashing down right towards the end. But there was an abundance in there. And also there was a lot going on there of the industrial world had made quite a few changes in how things were starting to be manufactured. But there was definitely a big Hollywood era there as well. And so do we start to get things slightly mass produced or is this just that um, incredible era of design where something could be made? It wasn't just a handmade bespoke piece. Exactly. It was really about the materials that started being available, like Bakelite, you know, where you see that that off-white, it's almost yellow now when you see it. And then you see the the black baker light and then you see the the white baker light and all of a sudden you get light switches that weren't timber and metal. Mm. So that was almost like our version of what plastic is. So all of a sudden people are like, oh, there's a new material. So it started being used in a lot of elements. And then also you've got really, you know, really famous um, elements of, of women and, you know, almost some of them had a bit of a Grecian feel to it as well as the, the flapper. And I think it was an, an expression of freedom, even though they'd come out of war and going into a great crash. They really fixed a lot into that time. <laughs> yes, it's, which is, I think, why people love looking back on it. And often I think, you know, someone of my age, I'm sort of late 40s, you know, it was my grandmother's absolute, the prime of her life. So some of the most favourite pieces, I'm thinking of lamps and, you know, beautiful sort of um 20 stuff that you think, yeah. yeah, it was because she just had such a ball in that time. No wonder she yeah. keeps the lamp that she bought there. And I, and I think women were probably sort of finding such a big self-expression at that time too. And, you know, I, I sort of, if you look at what a typical sort of headdress was at that time, it, it was that little cap that mm. sort of stuck on their head and their big eyes came out and they had that very short cut. So it was quite stylish. There was something about really that the 1920s wasn't antique. It was fresh. It was new. It was bold. And it was an expression. So the 1920s probably saw, you know, women rejecting mum and dad's old Victorian (laughs) bedside table. Exactly. (laughs) And the heavy carved timber, you know, wattle. (laughs) (laughs) So if you walked into a property that had been renovated with a touch of 20s style, what would you be looking for, Shana? I definitely expect glamour. 
Glamour is something that I find is the most incredible thing because um, the 20s, it has that crossover of when we hit into the art deco of the 30s. But 1920s is the, the year of abandon and the year of shimmer and the year of just like, you know, putting on your red lipstick. It really is. <laughs> and having a ball. Fantastic. Okay, so that's the 1910s and the 1920s there. Shana, I know you've been very busy on your social media accounts. So Mm -hmm. has there been a sort of question that's been coming at you lately or do people watch the blog and just go, we want to know where that incredible dress you were wearing on (laughs) Sunday was? If you haven't seen it, I have to say, Shana, look, you looked incredible in a little black number right above the knee and didn't... Didn't Instagram go off? Well, I, I have to say I haven't worn a dress that short for a long time. I have this amazing stylist, Anne Stringer, who I tag, and um, she puts forward some outfits and I'm going, oh, that's a little bit short, a bit short. I think I need a bit of fake tan to get me through that one. And my legs aren't that brown, so you can tell that that fake tan had to work hard on some very white legs. Um, so, yeah, look, just I love to have fun with my own style, on the block and I think it's just really fun (laughs) to sort of work hard. But definitely people are very thrown by these decades. They're very thrown about understanding it and and, and also with with all the questions that are coming through is that people love what you wear because it's style at the same time. It's just not in the fact that, you know, what you're wearing – looks great. It's it's about a signature of who you are and it's about an expression. I, I think also with what I wear on TV, uh, I, I like to have something a little bit out of the box mm. and I can't say I've always been like that on TV because you sort of get caught into a certain mould. But I, I like the fact that your clothes can be your expression and as much as your home's. Exactly. And, you know, you actually had quite a structured and almost had like a Victorian kind of puff to the sleeve on the outfit you were wearing, you know, black, but shorter skirt, but with this sort of, you know, structured top. And it's like, I was thinking about it thinking, yeah, Shana, the stylist is talking to a designer here. They're both coming at it from from different ways. But also when people ask me, ask Shana how she looks so healthy and fabulous at her age. (laughs) Seems to be a fascination with women over, you know, 40 being allowed on Australian TV. But I thought... Oh, I got told... And one one person said, um, dress your age. And I went, oh, God. And it was a woman. And I went, you know what? That's really quite sad. Um, Iris Appel turned 99 the other day. And if anybody hasn't seen her celebrating her 99th birthday, please check her out on her Instagram. She has this most divine emerald green satin dress. She has her big glasses. She has everything going on around her. Would you tell her to act her age, what, be 99 and in a nursing home? She looks spectacular. (laughs) Your clothes are your expression. If somebody doesn't agree that that's what I should be wearing at my age, I don't have my midriff out. I'm not offending anybody. I'm just dressing to express and and really there's a lot worse going on out there. Well, I'm thinking, you know, in those houses around Melbourne in the 1910s and as, you know, throughout that period, there would have been mothers going, you are not going out of the house in that flapper outfit. Like that was considered so risque. They showed their ankles. <laughs> Like, seriously, they showed their ankles. Come on, in 1920. And that was, uh, I think, in the opening in the 
tens. You've got uh, Scotty coming out in his bathers outfit. Yes. And then, you know, the women actually wore their bathers outfits to their ankles in the 1910s. So once you hit the 1920s, you had women not having skirts down to the ground. It was absolutely (laughs) outrageous. And in terms of your life, I thought when people were sort of asking that, oh, how does she do it? I'm just thinking, well, I feel like, Shani, you probably design your life around the fact, I know you've been walking your dog like, you know, three times a day <laughs> during isolation and that, but but surely you design your life so that you can fit in things that make you feel healthy and happy. And I mean, are you in the gym every day for three hours? I don't think so. No, no. do not think so. <laughs> um, I, I'm back to my routine of yoga Um literally roll out of bed onto the mat. Right. And that that's the best thing for me in the fact that yoga is spiritual. It wakes you up and it also um, keeps you very healthy and flowed and aligned. And, you know, the fact is, you know, as you get older, there's a few creaks. So yoga sort of helps <laughs> with those. But I have, you know, in the past 18 months got onto reformer Pilates at the same time. Haven't been able to do it through isolation because you don't have the machine, but there, there is sort of elements of Pilates as well. So I've, I've got to say I now do a combination of Pilates and yoga and the Pilates builds strength and also the, the yoga is is about your heart, your soul, your mind, but it's also about your flexibility. And I think the combination of those two has really made a difference in my body shape. Mm. And even my daughter started uh, Pilates a year ago and she goes, mum, I cannot believe my shape is actually changing. And it elongates you and it makes you strong. And, you know, considering it was created by, uh, you know, somebody who was helping ballerinas with injuries, that's what how Pilates was discovered. So it was about building strength without having to worry about weights, mm. without having to worry about running and, and calories and burning calories. Uh, your muscles should be burning calories if they're strong. There you go. I promised at least a couple of people who asked me that we would get to that. So we've started with architecture and the periods of, uh, of how you sculpt your body, which is the same as a, a house. Look, and I love it. I love the fact that we have someone like yourself on Australian TV, Shana, proving that you don't have to be under thirty, and that of course, you know, your personal design, your personal flair, is is why people love watching you on the block as well. Because if you didn't have that strong sense of your own design and style. Oh, yeah, this is all right. Yeah, I could see you were really, you know, some rooms just really sort of trigger you and that that passion is very evident. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think that's really important too because um, no matter what anyone says, that I never ever say anything about the people because, one, I've never met them and I don't know them. I don't attack anybody. I don't do anything that's personal. They are presenting a room in a competition and it is my job to actually point out what isn't right. And design is my history. Design is my life. And it is part of who I am as a person. And Mm. if I'm there as an expert, I have to do the right thing for these contestants to move forward and know what the rules are and keep reminding them. And there's a lot of contestants in the past that have won And they weren't the great ones. They weren't the ones that had all their design style. But each week they were told what they were doing wrong so they could get better. Mm. And that just proves that the critique that we give back is actually for their benefit to say, 
come on, get back on the track, get back on the track. You know, we want people to think outside the box, but once they've gone to another box, we have to put them back in the right one of where they need to be. And that's really what it is. You know, not everybody needs to be guided because they know what they're doing, but we're there to corral them and say, ah, 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 you've lost the plot, you've moved up, come on, let's get back. Yep. Your job is to judge after Absolutely. All. You're not just there as an enthusiast. You're no. a judge. We are loving it. And, of course, if you're listening to us, you haven't caught up with uh, the beginning of this season of The Block, The Block Brighton, uh, you can catch up on Nine Now. I'm Jane Neild and this is Homestar with, of course, the wonderful Shana Blaze, all thanks to Red Energy. Their customer solutions team is based in Melbourne. You can switch to Red Energy today. And Shana, next episode, we're going to run through some of those periods. We're going to do a bit more deep diving into the history that we're seeing uh, recreated on the block. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy. Born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Cooking, enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table. I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then. The parents, Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley. At the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's lifestyle podcast available from your podcast provider and the SEN app.